eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, welcome. This is uh, Zero Pucks Given with Ty Anderson and Dale Arnold. Welcome, Dale. Nice to see you, Ty. Good to talk a little hockey with somebody who understands if it's puffed or stuff. I know. I appreciate that. I've been, I've been looking well, for... I didn't say you. I meant me. But, you know, as long as one of us... No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. We've been, I've been trying to do this for a while now and figuring out who is the perfect person for this. And, I, and I always... Jack was unavailable, so you went no, with me? Uh, I couldn't... Is that how it went? Jack would make too many references to, like, the Revolutionary War, and, and I, I'm more of a Civil War guy, so I wouldn't know where he's going with that. Gotcha. So I appreciate you uh, taking some time on your day here. I know you're pretty busy. Uh, but this is great. I'm, I'm pumped about this. I hope you're excited, too. I mean, I feel like this is going to be a pretty uh, pretty fun thing for us uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, who could pick a better time than right now to talk about the Bruins? I know they're on the bye week, but this team is really as hard as they've ever been, I think, uh, in this last maybe four to five year stretch. When I looked at the uh, TSN power rankings last week, uh, they had the Bruins third in the NHL. They had the Tampa Bay Lightning one. The Vegas Golden Knights, too, and who predicted that at the beginning of the season? And the Bruins, three. Uh, I, I noticed that Kevin Allen, USA Today, in this morning's edition, uh, picked you know the, the team to watch for the rest of the way was the Boston Bruins. They've got arguably, at least in my opinion, one of, if not the best line in the National Hockey League. They've got a Vezina Trophy caliber goaltender, again, uh, you know, the, the 6-5 overtime loss to the, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins notwithstanding. They've got as good a young defense core as there is in the NHL now, and their venerable 40-year-old captain is playing like he's 35 years old again. Uh, they got a lot of things going for him right now. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, sort of the question marks that you've had, I think they've sort of solved themselves in a lot of ways. That third line with Hind and Nash and Backus, that's probably one of the better third lines you've seen in the NHL now. And even their fourth line, they found an answer there as well. So I think the biggest question that I have, and I don't know about you, is can this sort of hold up? Can Danton Heinen be a borderline 50-point guy for the rest of the way? Can McAvoy avoid hitting a wall? I, I do think that these are important questions that we're not, we're not going to find out until March or April, but luckily they've sort of built a cushion here. Yeah, and I, when I look at it, look, they're going to be a playoff team this year. I mean, there's, there's little doubt in my mind, assuming that they don't get a whole bunch more injuries, and they've kind of gone through that already. Early part of the season when they had virtually nobody healthy and everybody was saying, oh, another, another swing and a miss by Don Sweeney, the answer I always had was, let me find out what the team looks like. Now that we've seen them, now that they're healthy, 
They're pretty deep. As you point out, they can go four lines deep, you know, and, and pretty effectively. And I see Bruce Cassidy using that fourth line late in tie games, you know, and, and having no fear about putting them out on the ice. You've got a guy like Adam McQuaid who at this point can't make it back into the lineup right now. He's healthy. He's been healthy for 10 days now. And Cassidy doesn't want to break up the six-man defense core that he's got going. They've got depth. They've got, you know, you send a guy like Anders Bjork down to Providence of the American Hockey League because there was just not a place for him to play here right now. I I guess you could always say, well, what happens if Heinen stops producing? What happens if McAvoy stops producing? You could predict that, I guess. Uh, I just see no evidence that it's going to happen so far. Yeah, that's the big thing. I'm sort of working on a column right now for EEI, like, what is this team's weakness? Because I don't know if necessarily they have one that's a fatal flaw. Because I look at sort of everything that I think is a concern, like you brought up McQuaid. When there's an injury or someone struggles, you put him back in. Kevin Miller can play the left side. That solves a lot of your problems right there. Forwards, Bjork is in the minors. Vetrano's healthy scratch. Bolesky even, he's in the minors right now. If you really need some jam on your bottom six. so And even their goalies. You have Rask and Hudobin, both of whom have played really well this season for different spurts. So... I do wonder, what is the fatal flaw with this team? I, I, I'm really not sure. Special teams are good, not great, but they're top 10 in both uh, power play and penalty kill. Uh, goals against, when, when I last checked before the six given up against Pittsburgh, I think they were second or third. Uh, they're right in that ballpark, second or yeah. third in goals against in the NHL. Uh, their offense is pretty good. Their goal differential is one of the best in the NHL right now because, look, they're on a hot streak offensively, and I understand that. But they've got some guys who can put the puck in the net. The thing that jumps out at most people that I've talked to about this Bruins team as compared to others is that for the first time in most people's Bruins lifetime, they're seeing speed and skill. You watch this team play, and they're playing at a different pace than we're used to seeing Bruins teams play. Now, look, there's a big part of Bruins fans who always want the big bad Bruins back. Well, the NHL has gone away from that style of play. The Bruins have gone away from that style of play. Don Sweeney has embraced the idea that they have to get faster and more skilled, and they have. Uh, they get up and down the ice as well as anybody in the league right now as an entire you know, 18-man unit. Yeah, and that, was, that sort of scared me for a while. Sort of that first offseason they had, they bring in Bolesky, they trade for Ronaldo— you're, you're sort of Ronaldo was the single dumbest move I've ever seen Sweeney make. Yeah, and I bet if, be. if, if, you put, if you put Sweeney under truth serum right now, he'd say, I don't know, I had a brain fart. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I cannot come up with any viable excuse for signing Zach Ronaldo. The good news is they realized it too and got him the hell out of here. What a, what a dumb move it was to bring him in. That has to be up there for probably the worst NHL trades of all time, in, in a lot of ways, because you traded a top 90 pick, and granted, it's a third-round pick. The chances of him being a superstar are probably pretty slim, but Brad Marchand was a third-round pick. You know what I mean? Like There could be a player that they eventually missed out on because of they brought in Ronaldo, so I was now, the worried. the Bolesky and Bacchus signings, I understood. This was yeah. a team in desperate need of some, some dressing room leadership. They had some quiet leaders, guys like Chara, guys like Bergeron. They, they were missing some of those guys who had left here over the last number of years, guys like Chris Kelly and Andrew Ference and Sean Thornton, guys who would, who would pipe up and, and, you know, hold a guy to, to account. They didn't have that. They thought that Bolesky and Bacchus would help bring that. They, they overpaid for Bolesky. There's no doubt about it. I'm not convinced they overpaid for Bacchus. Uh, I, I think you're now seeing what they thought they had in David Backus. And the leadership was there for both those guys, by the way. Backus is really bringing it now, and is also bringing it in terms of production on the ice. Can you stomach him as a third liner? Because sure. I, I, I thought that, in a lot of ways, people hated Chris Kelly, the $3 million third liner. 
But I do think that Bacchus at six mil in that third line is what you want in a lot of ways because you have Bergeron on one, Krejci on the other, we, Bacchus we on so, one. We so overplay this line numbering thing. Yeah. I mean, is this fourth line really the fourth line? Because for a lot of this streak over the month of December, they've been playing second line minutes. Yeah, that's true. You take a look at the minutes played per line. I, I mean, we tag them that way. Mm-hmm. Bruce Cassidy doesn't tag them that way. The players on the team don't tag them that way. We as fans and we as media say, oh, well, that's the third line. That's the fourth line. That's the second line. I know who the first line is, oh, and so does everybody else in the NHL. Best line in hockey. After that, who cares? Mm-hmm. What difference does it make? And, you know, there are nights when the fourth line is legitimately the second line. There are nights when, you know, Bacchus and his group are legitimately the second line. I don't much give a darn, you know, how they number them, how they, how they tag them. I just care about, as a, as a complete unit, how do they play as a group. And, and what I've seen so far has been good. Yeah, I kind of love the sort of what they've done this year in a lot of ways with the they're managing Bergeron's minutes. You know, this is something that they've struggled well, with. Well, lately the they've been able to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it helps me score six goals. And you right. play the Ottawa Senators, of course. But I think that that's going to go a long way for this team in so many ways because they really don't have, I think, anyone who can even compare to Bergeron, obviously. So if you can limit him even by two minutes a night, I feel like that can make a difference come April and maybe May if you make it beyond the first round, which was something that I... I'm not sure that team last year was ready for in a lot of ways. I think they've done that with a couple of guys. You've seen them really try to limit Chara's minutes. Now, they've paid lip service to that over the years and have never been able to do it because when push comes to shove, he's the best defensive defenseman they have. He's the best penalty killer they have. we got to get him back out there on the ice. Uh, but they've done it this year. McAvoy's playing more minutes than Chara is, and I like that. I'm fine with that. They've managed to do it with Bergeron here over the last month or so, and I wholly support that. Look, they're going to have games here where, you know, they're going to be trailing 2-1, and you're going to see those guys trotted out on the ice every other, every other shift. And I understand that. When Cassidy's been able to do it, he's taken advantage of it, and I think that's smart coaching. Yeah, and I would really say that I was always Team Claude, but I've been so wrong about that. It's unbelievable when you watch the job that Cassidy has done here. He's really found a way to make this team get excited about hockey again. And I think that's that sounds weird to say that these guys weren't excited about being pro hockey players, but... It felt that for a year and a half under Claude, they, they were sort of this misery around the rink because it was, you knew that guy was getting fired. You knew that team was under a gun. You knew something was going to change and, and still having me the coach, but it's been the perfect fit in a lot of ways. Claude Julian was a great coach in the history of the Boston Bruins, won the Stanley Cup, uh, but stylistically, his game may be a little behind the times right now. Uh, the Bruins, you know, had lots of shots on goal under Claude and they were all from the wall. And, you know, you're seeing that now being played out in Montreal. And the media in Montreal is talking about how the Canadians just shoot from the periphery and they don't move to the middle. We did a Corsi breakdown of Bruins shots this year under Bruce Cassidy. They're one of the top teams in the NHL from getting shots in the middle of the ice. They're not out on the wall shooting and hoping for rebounds and hoping something gets tipped. They're taking the puck to the middle of the net. They're taking the puck to the goaltender. They're setting the screens. They're doing those things. Stylistically, it's different. I know the speed and and all that. That is a different thing, obviously. But where they're shooting from is totally different than when Claude was here. And that's all Bruce Cassidy. Yeah, and I think that with with Cassidy, I think you have a lot of sort of qualities that make him a, a player's coach in a way he's he's harsh but he's also he's a coach in the sense he doesn't just banish you to the press box forever you know maybe Bolesky will dispute that I guess in a lot of ways but it feels that he gives guys chances to redeem themselves and that this team they they all know that they're not going to be the doghouse forever I think Ryan Spooner is probably a great example of that for, from Cassie's point of view 
There's a, you know, I, I've had a discussion with Bruce about this because let's be honest, you, you listen to him post game, you listen to him after practice over here at Warrior. He's a little more forthright than we're used to. Claude was very Bill Belichick like, and and I don't know what he was like behind closed doors. I'm sure he was he was much more direct, but his public statements about his players and his team were always, you know, pretty vanilla. Cassidy's a guy who has been willing to say we need more from X. We need Y to play better. And I asked him about it, and he said, listen, what I say behind closed doors is much more direct, much more pointed. They've already heard from me what I'm saying publicly. They've already heard it. So it's not like they're they're surprised sitting there going, oh, my God, what's he saying about me? I've already told them that. And, And players, I found hockey players to be pretty willing to take criticism. In fact, generally speaking, they offer it before it gets put on them. You know, they say, you know, I wasn't good enough. I, I sucked in the third period. You know, I've got to play better than that. They're pretty willing to, to say that about themselves. They don't seem to have a problem with Cassidy saying it, and it's refreshing to hear a head coach of the Bruins be so direct. Yeah, I think with Claude, that sort of, that Belichick directive, if you will, I think you can get away with it when you're winning. When you're not winning, people get fed up with it. They say, well, why? You know, explain it to us why this isn't the case. I've never had that issue with Cassidy, and we've asked him some tough questions. We've asked him, you know, why is that player on waivers? Why is this guy? Why hasn't this guy played in twenty games? And he's very honest about it. And I, I think that's great. Well, he's doing it right now with McQuaid, yeah. and he's saying, you know, it's 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 a hard discussion to have with Adam McQuaid. It's hard to look at him, given all that he's given to this team of his body, of his everything, and say, I don't have a spot for you right now. He said those aren't comfortable conversations, but he also looks at the team and the way they're playing. Uh, how they're playing defensively, how the defense pairs have, have melded together. A guy like Matt Grizzlick has made it hard to put Adam McQuaid back in the lineup right now. And the absolute worst message Don Sweeney could send is, okay, McQuaid's healthy, Matt, you got to go back to Providence, when he's going to look at it and say, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What, did, what have I done here? And, and I like the fact that Cassidy is, in effect, not outwardly, but what he's saying is, I can't take Matt Grizzlick out of the lineup. Look the way he's played. He's done everything we've asked him to do. You know, he has, he has made himself a part of this defense team. I, I, I love Adam McQuaid. I love everything about him. But how do I punish a kid like Grizzlick by taking him out of the lineup just because the other guy got healthy? And this is sort of the same logic that I apply to a trade. I, this team would be—it would be nice to add a body, right? Probably it, it would make sense to have an insurance body, but you don't need it. And I think you can send a bad message to a kid like Grizzlick or like Heinen if you add another veteran to the mix because you can't even play the veterans you have right now. Yeah, I, I, look, I think they do need to make a couple of deals. And, really? And yeah, Billy and I have talked about this a lot. Jaffe's much more militant about it than I am. Um, and and Barry Peterson. Barry Peterson wants a top four left defenseman. And a top six forward. He's not a Krug guy. He's not a Krug believer. I, I don't think he thinks he's a top four. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and look, I like I like Krug. I, I like what he brings to the table. He got benched here recently as well mm-hmm. uh, at the end of a game and didn't play. And to his credit, he didn't sound like he liked it, but he played like he understood it. Coming out of that, he, he looked like he got it and he picked up his play. Uh, I, you know, my, my TV partners think that this team is still a couple of players short of where they need to be. Now, they've got the capital to do this. You know, they've got some players still in the pipeline who are working their way up who are probably going to find it hard to find spots up here right now. So I, I think that there's, there's stuff available for Sweeney to deal off. And, and please, I, I, I know I'm talking to you and not to our audience when I say <laughs> this. I don't have to tell you this. 
stop. If you're listening to this podcast, stop with this bullshit. Let's trade Zdeno Chara or Tuka Rask oh, stuff. Please, okay, thank you. Can we just stop with that right now? Zdeno Chara is the best defenseman you have on this team. Tuka Rask is playing at Vezina Trophy level goaltending. The last thing you want to do is trade guys like that. Whenever you start talking about deals, you hear people say, well, let's trade Chara. Let's trade Tuka. Let's trade Krejci. Do you understand that those are players you try to get? They're not players you try to get rid of. If you didn't have them, you'd be seeking those kinds of players. But there are some fans out there who just don't get it, don't understand it. Oh, you're never going to win anything with Rask. He got you to a sixth game of a Stanley Cup final. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't too bad in that whole thing. Uh, Zdeno Chara has won a, a, a Norris Trophy here, and, and I think he looks rejuvenated. I think Sweeney, not only does he not want to deal Chara, he's going to sign him to an extension that's going to make some Bruins fans' heads explode. I can't wait. But that's what he's going to do. Yeah, Twitter's going to be a lot of fun that day. I think that, also, when you talk about trading guys of that caliber, the window's passed. If they were going to truly blow it up, it was the Hamilton-Lucic year where they traded those guys and and they didn't. So these are pieces that are still effective, like you like you talked about, and that are still have a spot here. No one is pushing these players out. No one is pushing David Krejci out. No one has. Come- By the way, look at how the team looked when Krejci came back into the line. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's it's a night and day difference what you have when you have two puck possession centers. It changes the whole dynamic of your team beyond belief. Really, and it makes you believe that this team could actually go in a deep run. It also changes how the power play looks dramatically. It yeah. looks like a totally different unit. When David Krejci is one of your options out there, I think at times he's been a disappointment. And, and I do understand those who say, well, he's always getting hurt anyway. And for all I know, he's going to get hurt again this year. It, oh, it's definitely. probably going to happen. But when he's out there and when he's healthy, he makes such a difference on this team. That, that second center slot behind Bergeron, that's about as good as you can get with a guy like that. Yeah, I think so. And then you, going, you said the power play. Having Bergeron and Krejci on different units, I think, makes such a world of difference for this team because you don't have to rely on one unit for a minute and 45 seconds. You can roll them one and one and really have sort of a, a strong two minutes. If you don't score, you're putting the pressure on the other team. And How sort about of- a guy like Danton Heinen who is manning one of the spots on your first power play? He's out there with Bergeron and Pasternak. And, I mean, you, you take a look at that group when he's out there and you're saying the trust that Cassidy has in a kid like this is pretty impressive right now. McAvoy's yeah. another guy, obviously, who's on the other power play unit. Another kid. I mean, he's a kid. He really is. But he's one of your power play specialists right now. Yeah, and you look at that game against Carolina. I know they had seven goals, but that third goal, I believe, if it was the third goal, the Pasternak power play goal, that happens. Heinen picks a puck out of midair. So the, the, the veteran poise, if you will, of a player who, like you said, is a kid, he's 21 years old, I think, you know, it, it, does that happen because he's playing with guys of that caliber? Or is that simply... You know, a mix of the trust that he's developed, that Cassie has in him, and you know, the confidence he's developed with it. You know, I think that's that's a great question to ask in a lot of ways because, you know, if you have that problem there on that on that half wall, that changes the whole complexion of that power play unit because that's so important for both Bergeron to get a shot off on the bumper and for Pasternak the movement to get to him on the other side of the ice. I think that's that's a huge weapon for this team. I, I got a kick out of it because after the the seven, that wasn't the seven. Yeah, it was the seven goal output. When, you know, Patrice had four goals and the line combined for 12 points and were plus 11. And Cassidy joked after the game, he said, maybe they're sick and tired of reading about how good the Achari line is. Because everybody was talking about how great the fourth line had been playing. And they had been, by the way. And it's almost like they said, you know, we're pretty good, too. And they're, they're going to have lulls like every line does. 
you know, Sidney Crosby doesn't have a five-star performance every time he steps out on the ice. More often than not, they're really good, and there are nights when they are otherworldly. And, and that's what you're getting. They know, look, this team knows that without that line performing the way they are, they're struggling to make the playoffs. But you have that line playing the way they are. Brad Marchand has made himself into one of the best wings in the National Hockey League. I know people have a hard time believing that. They have a hard time processing that because he's the pest, he's the agitator, he's the stick in the skates and the, and the stick in the groin guy, and he's done all those things and, and deserves the reputation. What he's also done is turn himself into a first-team all-star wing. You know, a guy who scored the game-winning goal for Canada in the, in the Canada Cup, the, the World Cup tournament. This guy, this guy has become one of the best all-around players in the NHL on the wing, and he's playing with a guy who's one of the best all-around players in the NHL at center. And, you know, you add a kid with the talent level of Pasternak, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of David Pasternak's game yet. I think he's that good. I think he is a legitimate 40 to 50 goal a year guy before he's done. Oh, absolutely. And I think the the interesting part is that he's on a 10-game goal drought, whatever it was, entering the weekend. He scores a, a one-timer against the Hurricanes, comes back the next night and scores another goal against the, the Penguins. I mean, he knows how to break out of slumps. And I think that's such a, a key element of a young player, knowing that his head is screwed on straight. You know, because if you're a player like, I go to Riley Smith, for example, a player who the first time he hit a wall here in Boston, he almost looked dumbfounded. He didn't know what to do. It seemed that he was upset that people were wondering why he's not scoring. And, wh- and he was upset why he wasn't scoring, too. He didn't know how to handle it. I think Pasternak is 21 years old. He's, you know, he's, Czech, he's from the Czech. He doesn't care. I mean, when I say he doesn't care, he doesn't get in his own head, I guess. He understands But you know game. what I saw him do? I saw him over here at Warrior before the team went out on the ice for practice. And he's out with a bucket of pucks and an assistant coach shooting one-timers. You know, the coach passing and him firing. To your point about he, he knows how to get himself out of it, he knew that he had to work on his shot. He had to get better at it. His one-timer had started to falter. So the answer for him was, I got to shoot and shoot and shoot. And he's out there working on it and working on it. And then in a couple of successive games, you saw, wow, that one-timer looks like it did before. Now he's got that, that shooting touch back because what he did was work his way out of the slump. Absolutely. And I think that's, that commitment is something that we haven't always seen with a lot of these younger players. You know, I, I think Tyler Sagan had a work ethic issue. I think that Dougie Hamilton had a— Phil Kessel. I mean, there have yeah. been others. The joke was, you know, Phil Kessel didn't know where the weight room was. It probably wasn't that inaccurate. Still doesn't. He still doesn't. He doesn't look like a guy who does. Uh, he knows where the vending machines are. He, Phil Kessel looks like a men's league player until the puck is on his stick near the net. Mm. And then he looks like, you know, a dazzling— Phil Kessel's success—you know why he's successful with the Pittsburgh Penguins? Why is that? It's the third line. That's true. Phil Kessel is your third line option, which is probably where he's the most comfortable. It's probably, you know, what his best comfort zone is. Here, he had to be a front line, at worst, a second line guy, but you really wanted him to be a first line guy. He wasn't that kind of player. With Pittsburgh, he's a third line guy. He's all comfortable and happy, and, and away you go. Look, I'm, I'm happy for his success, but to your point about some young guys here have had a hard time figuring out. How to, how to get better. Now, part of that's coaching, by the way. And I, I was a, and am a huge Claude guy as well. But you can legitimately say that, you know, some younger players developed better under him than other younger players did. Bergeron, Marchand were young players who developed spectacularly under Claude. But it doesn't mean his, his method works for everybody. There were others who didn't develop the same way. 
Now, there were guys who, who are here for various, not here for various reasons. Tyler Sagan wasn't traded because they doubted his talent level. No. They knew how good a player he was. Uh, you know, Dougie Hamilton didn't want to be here anymore. Now, whether that was that he couldn't take Zdeno Chara's leadership, I've heard that one before. Well, all right, go to Calgary. Tell me how that goes for you. Yeah, hang out with Giordano and have fun being like a wild card team every single year for the rest of your life. And and in Phil Kessel's case, he didn't want to be here anymore. He didn't want to stay. Okay, when you move on, you now you can always say, did you get enough in return when these guys went? And valid criticism, the Tyler Sagan deal, you look at, at the, what the return was and you say, what the hell were you doing here? I have a feeling the rest of the National Hockey League had an idea that he wasn't going to stay here too. Um, you know, they hear all the same stuff we hear. And they probably had an idea that, you know, Don Sweeney's got to wheel him out of here. Yeah. I'm not going to do them any favors. I'll trade for him, but I'm not going to give up, you know, all the, the top stuff on the top shelf of my cupboard here. There are times when, when I think that the Bruins, and Sweeney in particular, have made very astute, perfectly timed trades. And there are other times when trades are forced upon them, and those, generally speaking, don't work as well. Well, that's why I like them not trading for Duchesne or Landeskog. Because I, I watch Matt Duchesne in Ottawa, and I hardly notice him. You like, know what he is? He's a third-line guy. He is, yeah. And he, he, he wants to be paid as a first-line guy. Exactly. And he, gets, he has a reputation of being a first or, at worst, a second-line guy. He's, he's a third-line. He's, he's Phil Kessel, but he's not as good as Kessel. Yeah, and when people complain about them not pulling the trigger on a Landeskog or a Duchesne, they have to come to grips with the term with the idea that you were trading one of Carlo or McAvoy. You were not escaping that deal without giving up, with, with saying, okay, here's Joe Morrow, Colin Miller, Jake Zaborl. That's not going to work. I mean, I can honestly say that without getting stupid here, you know, uh, Edmonton's not giving you Connor McDavid. Uh, you know, without getting stupid. It's Shirelli, though. You never know. There is almost no one I would trade Charlie McAvoy for. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I, I think that this is a... This is a, uh, a now a 20-year-old who is already a top-pairing defenseman. That is, and he, he can play defensively, he can play offensively. He knows he, his, his instincts and his judgment skills, I think, are that of a, of a 26-year-old right now versus a 20-year-old. I talked to Harry Sinden recently about McAvoy's game, and Harry said, you know the guy that he reminds me of? And this was Harry talking. He said, it's Brad Park. He said, you know, the, his intelligence, his hockey intelligence. Now, he said, by the time Brad got here... He was nowhere near the skater McAvoy is. Charlie is much a much better skater than Brad was. His knees were shot when he got here. But his hockey IQ and his, and his puck sense and his, his devil-may-care, oh, what the hell, I'll try it. You know, and if it doesn't work, I'll go back and we'll do it again. You know, we'll do something different next time. Uh, Harry made the equation to Brad Park. And by the way, if that works out here, you're in really nice shape. I was so worried you were going to say Bobby Orr. I was like, don't, oh, no, don't, don't do it to this kid. No, don't get stupid. He's still young. <laughs> there, there is nobody on the planet, or let's put it this way, there's nobody on the planet who should ever put any player's name in their mouth at the same time as Bobby Orr. Stop mm. it. That's never going to happen. People say Eric Carlson's new Bobby Orr. Stop it. Yeah. I mean, I like yeah, Carlson. Take a look at Eric never... Carlson right now. Tell me if that looks yeah. like Bobby Orr. No, no. Last time I checked, he was minus 16. They both wear skates. That's probably the, that's, the closest that's, thing. That's where the... <laughs> equivalency ends stop there is no Bobby Orr Charlie McAvoy's not that but I thought Harry's assertion that what he reminded him of and he he said he hesitated about Bork as well Mm -hmm. he said but but Brad Park is the guy that he reminds him the most of when do you start working on extension for McAvoy I 
I don't worry about that stuff as much as other people do. Really? Uh, remember the, the doomsday? Oh, they've screwed this one up. Pasternak's going to walk. Yeah, KHL, like they always do. Yeah, right. Everyone's going to the KHL. Uh, they'll get it done. I, 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 I got to tell you, Don Sweeney, for all the crap he's taken since he took over here, he inherited a cesspool in terms of roster makeup and salary cap situation. He had to really clean things up here, the mess that Peter Shirelli left. And it took him a couple of years to get that cleaned up, but he's done it. His drafting, you take a look at the players that they've selected in the time that Sweeney's been in charge, you kind of like seeing a guy like Pasternak where he was picked and Charlie McAvoy and you know some of these guys percolating through the system. Uh, he got the Pasternak contract done. You've got your, your top line is, is tied up for long-term contracts for, what, the next three or four years at reasonable money? Under 20 mil combined. I as think. opposed to Edmonton, where you've got two guys making $10 million apiece who have completely cash-strapped the Oilers' salary cap situation, and they're plummeting like a rock right now. You know, it's funny. You brought up the drafting. I know you got to get out of here, so I want to ask you one last thing that I saw. I saw the other day was that someone said that the Bruins were not allowed to take Matthew Barzal. And that it, it was overruled by Camden that they weren't taking him. By who? Uh, this was a uh, staffer, I think, out in Edmonton. He said this. Uh, he said that. Said, now you catch me up here. Said that the Bruins weren't allowed to take him by who? By Cam Neely. That Cam Neely said you cannot take this player with picks 13, 14, 15. You have to pick somebody else, and that's one of the reasons why they never grabbed that player. Which I don't Did necessarily Seth agree Wickersham with. Wickersham, write this. <laughs> You can't doubt those sources, baby. No, I, I, I think that that's a ridiculous <laughs> assumption because I think Look, that— Look, I, I wish they had picked Matt Barzell, too. I, I mean, we see him play for the Islanders. He's dazzling. But do I believe Cam Neely told Don Sweeney you can't take him? Hell no. Yeah. What possible reason would he have for saying that? Well, I think they weren't—they didn't like his attitude in a lot of ways, which I had heard. But if a player is good, you take the player and you hope that your culture can help— remold him, if you will, and shape him. He's still, he was 19, 18 years old. He's not, he's not who he's going to be at 25 when he's 18. Sorry, I'm not buying the story. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cam Neely, I'm sure, participated in those you know, pre-draft interviews that teams have with players. Maybe he didn't like the way he interviewed. But it's Sweeney and his staff who are scouting this kid day in and day out. And I, and I think it's funny, too. I wonder if it's coming from, being it's an Edmonton report, I wonder if it's coming from... Uh, Keith Gretzky and Peter Shirelli trying to say, yeah, ma- you know, make the Bruins look bad because they they obviously have an axe to grind with that franchise. And I do think that when you look at those picks, they identified players that fit what they wanted personality wise and talent wise. You have a left winger, a right winger, and a defenseman. Which, if you look at that draft, were all positions of need at the time. They had just traded Lucic. They just got rid of Dougie Hamilton. Their best right side option was Brett freaking Connolly. Like they needed to get these guys. And listen, Barzal's an obviously amazing talent. But I kind of like the players they have, too. Look, I hated the fact that they took three players in a row. They had no intention of taking three players in a row. They were trying desperately to put together a deal with the Coyotes. They couldn't get it done. There's no way in the world Don Sweeney wanted to take three players. Boom, boom, boom. Now, when you got stuck with having to take the three, yes, especially now. Hindsight, you're looking at it saying, oh, my God, how did you miss on Barzal? Just like 198 teams missed on, you know, picking Tom Brady at quarterback, including the New England Patriots on five other occasions. It's always easy in hindsight to say, oh, they took this guy instead of that guy. Every single team in the NHL has that story somewhere in their resume. Johnny Gaudreau is one. All of them. I mean, every player, uh, unless you're picking first overall, you know, every team has got that, oh, my God, look, we took so-and-so, and two picks later, this guy went. What were we thinking? 
stop with this. I, I'm, look, Keith Gretzky, I think, did a remarkable job here. Uh, I, I mean, I thought he was most responsible for David Pasternak being on this roster. And, and for that, we owe him a thank you. Good for him. I, I'd be more inclined to think Shirelli was the guy a little bitter about the experience here more than Gretzky because I, I think Gretzky wanted to go with Shirelli. And also, you got to remember that the the Oilers had the chance to get Barzal too, and they traded that pick. They traded that pick, and they got Griffin Reinhardt. It's like, what is going on here? So I think there's a lot of sour grapes still in Edmonton when it comes to their situation, where they are, and you know, uh, it, the Oilers are the new Bruins, and that's not why, a good thing. Why is it so hard for people to understand that uh, there, there's kind of a division of powers here that that Don Sweeney really does run the hockey operation? I hear this all the time. Oh well, it's Sweeney who fired Claude. It wasn't. It wasn't Don. It, it wasn't Neely. It was Sweeney, or vice versa. Don Sweeney was in charge of that. Now, does he have bosses he have he has to answer to? Of course he does. Does he have to run a move by Cam Neely before he does it? Of course he does. And Neely, by the way, depending on the magnitude of the mood, has to ultimately run it by ownership. I understand that. But this idea that oh well, Neely's the guy really running this thing. Cam Neely's got a lot of stuff on his plate. Among those things isn't scouting. He's not sitting here looking at juniors and, and you know, scouting American Hockey League franchises and, and traipsing around you know, out west in the NHL to figure out who they're going to trade for. He's got an entire staff for that, headed up by Don Sweeney. It's pretty easy for me to figure out. Don Sweeney's the general manager. He makes the hockey deals. He makes the hockey decisions. Some of them he has to run by Neely and maybe even some of them ultimately by ownership. Before they drop a whole bunch of money on David Posternock, somebody has to say, oh, absolutely, go, go spend that money. That's the right thing to do. But, uh, boy, people sure in this town try hard to either give Neely the credit for everything that happens or, conversely, blame Neely for everything bad that happens. It's true. I, I don't quite get why they're trying so hard for that. And I will say that I think Neely has done a good job of sort of reeling himself back and understanding that he has a staff he can trust. And I don't know if he always had that necessarily with Shirelli. I think there was a power struggle there. But I think with Sweeney, I think they are. there's more synergy there. They know what each other, what they want to do. They're, they're on the same page for the ultimate goal with this franchise. We always want a single guy to blame for something. Absolutely. It, it, it's like, you know, for, for Patriots fans, it's this recent thing with, you know, did Kraft tell Belichick he had to trade Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, we talked to Belichick. He said that's not how we do things here. We, we, we talk. We have group sessions. We talk about this stuff. And, and it's not like Robert Kraft goes to Belichick and says, you get him the hell out of my locker room. You trade him now. Tom's the guy. That's not how they operate. It, it doesn't operate with the Bruins that Cam Neely goes to Sweeney and says, I want, I want Claude Julian out by Friday. It's not how it happens here. They sit and they talk about it. Hey, maybe we need to move on here. What do you think? Do we need to make this change? Look, we've got to think about whether or not we're going to trade this guy. Uh, this guy's available. What do you guys think? You know, and, and you get your director of player personnel in, and you get everybody in a room, and you, and you hash it out, and then ultimately – there's a guy who, who gets to make the decision. But for some reason, we want somebody to blame. We want a single name. If something, damn it, Barzal got screwed up. Neely, it's your fault. We want to write our fan fiction. That's what we want to do. We want to, we want to write our fan fiction to fit our agenda. And I think that's a real thing that rather than ask questions and find out why these things are the case, people want to just say that, oh, well, it's this guy's fault because, you know, I don't like him. I never liked him. Okay, well, that's not, that's not the grounds for a reasonable discussion. That goes for players and management alike. You can't have a discussion if you walk into it with a bias. And I think a lot of people, they always want to, they want to, they're still, 
bent out of shape about Tyler Sagan trade and they want to go back to the behind the B clips where it's Cam Neely saying, oh, we, you know, this guy, he's not a fit here versus saying, okay, well, why does, why, why will that affect player X, Y, and Z? It doesn't. It doesn't. Simple as that. They've got long-term plans that they've, uh, a game plan that they've put together here. They've got a short-term game plan. Uh, you know, in addition to worrying about, you know, how good they can be this year, you know, Sweeney's got this entire jigsaw puzzle that he's got to put together of these contracts are going to be up next year. These contracts are going to be up the year after that. We've got these guys uh, who are going to be coming out of college in this year. We've got these guys who are going to be coming out of the American Hockey League at this point. We've got these guys that we're going to draft in this upcoming draft. And and where do they sift in through here? It, it is such a complicated uh, process that they put together here that the idea that they just sit there and say, you know what? Let's trade him. <laughs> That's not exactly how it works here. Yeah. Or, or by the way, with any other franchise, uh, unless something dramatic happens, unless, you know, somebody does something and you go, we got to get him out of town. And those things happen. I understand that. Of course. But they don't just sit there and, and fly by the seat of their pants. Well, let's just get rid of that guy. Hey, you know what? We got so the, the storyline out there is that now that Adam McQuaid's healthy, you've got teams calling up and asking the Bruins, but hey, is Kevin Miller available? Hey, uh, you know, I you got you got, you know, McQuaid coming back. You want to deal Miller? Well, it'd be kind of stupid to just sit there and say, "Hey, McQuaid's healthy. Let's get Miller out of here." Yeah, the team that ran ten defensemen in the playoffs last year—they're gonna they're gonna strip themselves of their insurance. They 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 don't do things like that, and no team does things like that. Everything is thought out. Everything is plotted forward. There there are all these salary cap implications, and and this you know here's a here's a Felgerism. Okay, the cap isn't crap. And it especially isn't crap in a hard cap league. With guaranteed contracts. With guaranteed contracts. So it, unlike the NFL where if you had to, you could just cut a guy. You know, just to go. Well, you can do that here. You can send Matt Bolesky to Providence. You've still got a cap hit. Mm-hmm. When you screw that one up, that still costs you money. That costs you a hockey player that you can't have on your roster because that salary cap spot is sitting playing for Providence. Exactly. They have to think all these things through. It's complicated. And it's not just as simple as, well, how about if we give, let's give them Krejci, let's give them, I, I always love this one. Well, let's give them a Chari, Spooner, and uh, and and uh, a, a second-round pick and see if they'll give us Eric Carlson. Yeah. I, I love those deals that, I, that I fans to, like to make. The centerpiece package used to be, for years, was Ryan, give them Ryan Spooner, Koklachev, Karan, and a third-round pick. You're like, what the hell are you possibly getting for that? That is nonsense. Well, I always call it, it, it is the classic, I'll give you five pennies, you give me a nickel. Yeah. It's not how it works in sports. <laughs> I, I'm not taking your five pennies and giving you my nickel. Nobody's going to do that. But the pennies are shiny. They're yeah, nice. They might be shiny. They're not as good as that nickel is. No. And I'm not giving be. you the nickel for those five pennies. No thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, Dale, thank you so much for taking time to do this. I hope, cool. we, I hope we can do this regularly. I, I, what, this was not a one-off? No. no. I, 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 I mean, I, I sort of agreed to do this for a reason. I, I didn't think we were just going to do this once and then cash it in. No. Well, my whole thing I don't was... want to hear Minahan bitching at me because I just he's you know did one and, and wor- wor- worked on. He's going to bitch no matter what. He doesn't like... He's not a big fan. Uh, of, I don't know. Of, of any of us? or I think so. I don't know. That's his thing. So, But no, I, I, I want to do this with you. I, my goal was to not piss you off to the point where you never <laughs> want to come back. So, Oh, no. Feel free. Go yeah, at it. I mean, yeah. we could do that, too. We just didn't have anything to piss each other off about this time. Give, it, give us till episode six, Kirk, and then we'll, we'll be at each other's throats. Yeah, assuming that I get to episode six. <laughs> yeah, that's a struggle for both I of us, that. I think. I read that. Yeah. Very edgy. It's very edgy stuff. Well, 
Dale, thanks again for having me. Okay. Or for, for joining me. I'm on me. your show, remember? I know. What the this hell are you talking about? This is your podcast. You know what it is? I'm used to doing these late night appearances where I'm, I'm just the guest. I'm just the, they call me in out of bed. and I'm You just, see who's sitting in the power chair. I know. I know. I got all these buttons. I don't know what they do. So I did notice you were like totally technically in it. Oh, it's it's horrible. I'm lucky that I can even turn a car on. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about this right now. <laughs> you know, actually, now the more I think about it, the chances of this actually surviving enough to be posted is probably slim. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. I'm no, no, no sure. I just meant technically, as soon as you hit a button over there, this is going to disappear. Yeah, I'm going to not press anything. I'm going to leave the powers good above me to, to press on and off here. We'll talk hockey soon. Awesome.